All right. All right. All right. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Bison, a.k.a. Bison Trades over on Twitter. And welcome back to another episode of Rare Fog Radio. Today's episode is going to be fantastic. We have a very special guest on today. We have Ivan from Mindfolk. Um, if you guys don't know about Mindfolk, they're one of the more OG projects um, coming in from um, about January of 2022. Um, you know, um, in 2022 and yeah, they're one of the OG projects in my eyes. I love the art. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the story. We're going to talk about their background and the upcoming Renaissance. Um, so stay tuned for that. But as always, we will get into some market summary, some market news, then jump right into the show. Joining me as always is my wonderful co-host Dorian. Dorian, how you doing today? My man. Can't hear you, Dor. Oh, yeah, let's go. My bad. <laughs> Got too excited. Had myself on mute. <laughs> but anyway, dog, every day is a holiday, and I'm happy to be here, man. I'm super happy to have Ivan on today as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a blast. So um, anyways, uh, joining us as well is going to be our wonderful co-host, Joe. Joe, how you doing today, man? How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? We're doing great, man. I'm excited to talk to my folk today, Ivan, man. See what's going on, cooking in that ecosystem. See how they've, uh, you know, chosen to navigate being, you know, top of the project during the bull, and then now kind of coming in as a sleeper for the for the bear and back into the bull. So it's going to be a really cool um, story to hear. So I'm excited, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love having them on. Dude, my folk, it's one of those arts that just always stuck yeah. around with me. I love their art so much. We'll get into it in a second. I'll um, be a fanboy with Ivan when he gets on here. But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about the market. So we are seeing a little stagnation in NFTs. We're seeing a ton of drawdowns in Solana floor prices, which is what happens uh, when we run up from $8 to about $24. Um, you should be expecting that. So um, just a little heads up. We did talk about this. Aggressive profit taking was key. Um, taking out loans to hedge your bets if you wanted to, you know, maybe you had an NFT you really like, but um, you weren't sure about the downside. You can loan it out. I did that with a ton of my Clanosaurs, my SMB um, proved to be very fruitful because now I can choose if I want to keep that particular NFT or just let it default and I'll just keep all the liquidity I got from the loan. So um, yeah. It's crazy, crazy times in NFTs, but I think once we kind of stable out on, on price, that's when we'll start seeing NFTs play catch up on Solana floor price. We are looking at about 242K. Guys, I want your opinion. How are we feeling about the market right now? We'll go with Door first and then Joe. Yeah, man, uh, I'm feeling pretty good overall. Like after, it's not a surprise. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now about uh, when Soul's price increases, we're going to see a pullback across all NFT floors. They typically rebound, but um, we knew this was going to happen. As we, you've been talking about, Bison, you got to make sure you take profits uh, when we expect Soul to pump. And it's like, or when it's pumping, start taking out loans aggressively because these floors are going to pull back like 20, 30%. And we definitely saw that happen. Does this mean we're in a, a bear market of NFTs? I don't know yet. Probably not. Uh, but right now, is I've been purchasing a couple things because prices decrease. Uh, I can get into that in the alpha portion. But uh, yeah, overall, I feel great about Solana's price. Your boy's up over 2x. I remember when everybody was miserable in the Solana market. Soul's going to $2. But here on Rare Fun, guess what? whole time we've been saying, 
Souls below 15, I'm buying every day. Souls below 10, I'm buying every day. Souls at eight, guess who's buying multiple souls every day? And guess who's at like a 3X, almost a 3 oh no, over a 3X right now. Anyway, yes, I'm feeling hella good, dog. Mark is doing great. I just want to continue pumping back to 30. I never thought I would be so happy to see a $30 Solana again, but potentially. But yeah, man, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good overall. That's right, that's right. Um, Joe, I know you've been chopping it up with me as far as TA goes. I, I, my attention has been almost solely focused on price action right now and um, just looking at everything. It, Dude, Solana looks good right now. Right now it's Chop City, but I, I do think we go into a continuation up towards 26 is my price target and hopefully break it and hold that. I kind of want to go over to you. How are you feeling about the market right now? Yeah, man, I'm feeling good. It, it, you know, it's following the plan that I've always said is that, you know, when Seoul was dropping how it was and we were in the plan in the sand pit, there's going to be a direct correlation for a little bit. If Seoul started rising, we would see floor price start rising as well. But then there's a pivot point that happens where the inverse starts to happen and you see floor prices drop and Seoul keep going up. The, that is the funky right part where you have to kind of manage your positions and, and trust your and get out. With the compounded soul that you did, right? You 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 bought into these NFTs to compound that soul, and then you have to extract that soul in order to to capitalize on the USD price of Solana um, going up. So like that's the really hard part, and, and it's the puzzle piece to play. But that's why loans are so important, all these other things, because you can kind of base your risk management and how you want to do it if you don't want to sell everything off. So I'm happy about the market because it's going how Rare Fud has has you know planned to play it. So yeah, I'm I'm yeah. all in. Yeah, I it, it mean it's it's played out to a T, and I, I figured it would. I wish I again, I was aggressively taking profits. I wish I had just sold everything, right? But you know, you can't time the market like one hundred percent of the time, and it's really hard. You realize how liquid some of these positions are. So, you know, just make sure next mm -hmm. time we run up, we have a nice volatility. When really, when you're taking a position on an NFT, and I've been saying this a lot lately, you are basically uh, playing it for stability, right? You are banking on the price of Solana being stable. So if you're taking a long position on it, you're banking on it being kind of boring. Solana's just ranging for a little bit. Where are people going to turn? They're going to turn to NFTs for profits. And so when you figure out that relationship, that's when you can be a really maximal trader. Um, if you're an investor, just know that a lot of these projects, if you found a really good investment thesis, they will likely catch up in Solana price. Yeah. We're just waiting for volatility to kind of chop rather than, you know, rapidly move up or down. So it's kind of the basis of the market. Um, but other than that, we've seen some nice moves. Bonks continues to do crazy things. Pilots Bonk has things. been releasing some trailers. They look really good. I mean, the market's still moving, and I think we are primed for a really good bull run in NFTs. It's just right now, everybody's attention is on the price of soul, right? When you run up 200 plus percent, um, that tends to be where a lot of attention is. So, um, Guys, any last remarks on market overview before we get into Mindfolk and bring up Ivan? Oh, uh, no, man. I'm excited to talk to Ivan. We can get after it, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Let's go ahead and last... bring up... Yeah. Oh, what's sorry. up, bro? I was just going to say real quick, tidbit for people. I know we see traders on YouTube on the comments. Guys, if we see that pull back to a higher low, those will be great entries for NFTs. You'll see a quick panic dump as well. And remorse will kick in once Solana gets that higher low and keeps going. People go, oh, I missed out. That's your entry on Soul. So don't go FOMOing yet. Be, be calm, calm and quiet and, and wait on it. And I think we'll have a good entry here, here soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, you're 100% right. And uh, dude, I'm so excited for today's guest. I'm, 
I love Mindfolk. Um, and just hearing, so we got to talk to him a little bit on the dojo space with Cyber Samurai not too long ago. Um, and Ivan clearly still has passion, especially like the projects that were around in January of yeah. last year. Um, most of them are not here anymore. So when you see somebody who continues to want to grind and hustle in this space, really take the lessons they learned um, on the original come up and reapply it to what is going to be beneficial for the longevity of the project, it gets me going. So without further ado, let's get up, Ivan. Ivan, how you doing today, my man? Yo, guys, what's up, man? I really appreciate you having me up here. Uh, first thing I want to say is I like I like all the chop chops. Uh, even when you guys are talking about the market, chopping it up. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it's, it's Chop City right now, man. So uh, could not come on on a better time. Um, Solana's chopping. We're chopping over here. Mindfolk is definitely chopping with your upcoming renaissance. Mm -hmm. So before we get into that, because I'm really excited to talk about kind of the future plans for the project, um, and what you guys have done with the mint capsules and everything like that. Let's talk a little bit about yourself, Ivan. Let's give a brief intro into Mindful, kind of the origins of it, and um, what you guys are planning. So let's go ahead and start off with you, Ivan. Cool, yeah. So just a brief background of myself. Um, got into, I was actually just in the space just talking about it, but I got into blockchain because of the arbitrage that was happening in South Africa, the, the local exchange. There was like a, a 10 to 20% arbitrage that was happening for about a like a two year period. And so that was my first introduction into blockchain. I didn't really know much about crypto at that stage, other than that, you know, you can make, uh, you know, internet money from it. And so and that was introduced to me by one of my partners at Mindfolk, which is Sigmundo. And so the Mindfolk team is made up of five South Africans. We all have been close friends basically since high school. We've worked on Web2 projects together, uh, mostly e-commerce related SaaS businesses. And uh, my first introduction to Solana specifically, uh, we started talking about different kinds of blockchain type projects when NFTs were happening in 2017. Sigmundo had already started working on a project back then already. And I was always interested, but I was still um, doing my, my post-grad studies uh, and you know, I wanted to get involved and at that time it didn't really make sense for me. And so after that, obviously the, the massive crash came and NFTs kind of disappeared after the 2017, after that 2017 period. And it was in 2021 or more end of 2020 that we'd first heard about Solana or at least Sigmundo had. And he told me about it and he was like, hey, you know, you heard about this blockchain and uh, there might be some cool stuff happening there. And so we got into DeFi originally as Solana had launched. Um, I think Radium was the first big DeFi project on Solana. And, you know, we kind of dabbled a bit and, and we got burned and we learned some hard lessons, but it was a lot of fun as well. And yeah, we just kind of kept following the, the, the progress of Solana. And I think it was in probably about three or four months after that, mid-2021, that we had um, we entered into the first Solana hackathon as a South African team. And our project was actually focused on remittance. So... In Africa, there are various countries where moving uh, funds between countries is quite challenging. And obviously, you know, Solana offers quite a direct solution to that problem. And so that was our first ever project that we submitted. Um, I can't remember exactly. But I think we, we came in like the top five or top something uh, for the African division within that, that specific uh, hackathon. And then from there, we just kept working. Uh, we, we kept working on the remittance for a while and then it was in that July, August period that we'd heard of the 
the Metaplex standard being created for NFTs on Solana. And that's when things really started uh, started coming together because like my whole history, uh, I've always been surrounded by creatives, whether it's in the music industry or artists, it's just, uh, I'm just more inclined that way. And so, you know, when NFTs came about in Solana, it just made a lot of sense for us uh, to start thinking about how we could get involved in um, the, NFC, the NFT space. And yeah, we uh, my first mint was, Thugbirds, and you know we were pretty closely connected to the NFT space by that stage. We were watching projects start, and obviously, you know, it was like a crazy run. Um, I still didn't understand a lot of it uh, in the beginning. Um, you know, trying to explain it now to other people, it makes a lot of sense why they look at me in a really weird way. Because you know, now it's like so native to us. You know, we've been in the space for a while, and, and NFTs are so normal, and like you know, having a, a wallet on Phantom and connecting to all these different services. Uh, is pretty normal for us, but yeah, the the origins of Mindfolk, we we'd seen these projects started, and we wanted to. Our first goal was how do we create a project where we can be a top market cap and we can have a super high floor price. You know, so that was like our initial strategy. Like, what do we do? So, the first things we thought was uh, lower supply because just after that period where there was quite a run between the August and November. Um, of 2021, there were a lot of projects that were minting out, but you could basically just launch anything you wanted and it minted out. And then there was kind of a lull, sort of October, November. And that was when we started, like we'd approached Jürgens, who's another good friend of ours in South Africa. Um, he's the artist for Mindfolk. And we'd always, like, we immediately knew, like, this is the guy, you know, his, his art is very unique. Um, as you guys can see, I mean, our attributes uh, Mindfolk has one of the most exceptionally unique IPs, like everything about our collection. There's no influence. And, and I think that's a cool thing because he was not part of the Web3 space. He'd never seen an NFT collection. We basically like sat down with him. We were like, these are how layers work. This is what an attribute is. Like, can you draw up something for this? So he had no idea that laser eyes and, you know, specific kinds of glasses and hats and these like attributes were part of like, NFT collections, you know, he'd never seen a bake, he'd never seen something before this. And so he came with a completely unique way of creating uh, generative art. And I think that's what made us like really stand out when we started Mindfolk. But yeah, as I was saying, the one of the things we did is we thought, okay, you know, the market's not exactly as pumped as it was before. So let's do a low supply collection, because obviously that gives way to uh, faster floor price movements, um, if the demand is there. And then we took a lot of inspirations from uh, projects like Cyber Kongs, Kaiju Kings. And then uh, shortly after we'd basically finished the art for Mindfolk, um, there was the uh, Borioka Dragons. You know, we'd seen, I mean, they were the number one market cap project on Solana when we launched Mindfolk. And they were for a month before and probably a month or two after. And what we did with Mindfolk that was different. So when we launched, we actually had on our website, uh, if you don't dig the art, don't mint. We, we mentioned we had no roadmap. We had no uh, selling point. It was basically like, guys, this is a cool PFP project and that's it. And that's the way that we marketed ourselves. Uh, we had 200 people in our Discord when we minted. Um, and there were some really cool, unique things that we did. So, for example, our developer did this uh, uh, to prevent bots from, from minting too many. He had this reverse capture. So you had to this word, this like long 11 letter like word would come up and then you had to write it backwards. And I remember like people were like, what, this is so weird. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And so, 
yeah, we minted 31st of December, 2021. It was a, like a new year's mint basically. And yeah, by, by the, the end of the 1st of Jan, our floor price went from, cause we minted for one soul. Uh, the end of the first day was on four soul. And by the end of January, uh, we've been writing all these articles recently. We'll get to that, but that's why like, I got all this, this information nice and fresh. But uh, by the 27th of Jan, our floor price was 250 Sol. And I think Sol was at like 120 or something. So our floor price had gone to like you know, almost $20,000 from minting at, at one Sol, which is pretty wild. Um, and so we had taken the influence from Cyber Kongs and Kaiju Kings and Boruka Dragons. And we wanted to do something where we integrated a token. And the token was used in what we describe as like a unique rotation away from breeding. So instead of accumulating a token and using it to make more pfps or like babies you know for your collection for us it was about using wood to actually build structures so like building instead of breeding so you could like build a cabin and then once you've built a cabin you could build a boat and then you could use the boat to explore and then the the, the exploring was when you then connected to more pfps which were the mindings and for us the breeding made a lot of sense because uh Obviously, the ultimate goal is to expand on the community. Like that's kind of what we gathered from what we learned from Cyber Kongs, Kaiju Kings, and Boruka Dragons is that you start with a small collection and then you you slowly grow your collection and your community size through uh, this breeding, in our case, building process. And so that was the ultimate goal with Wood uh, was to accumulate and to build and then to like basically build out this what we. I guess we describe as like a law-based project. So that was our intention. It was going to like, you know, we, we had a law writer and we had this really cool story about how these founders lived in this coppice kingdom and they used this magical wood and then this magical wood was going to build these things. And yeah. Um, so that's, a, we also thought about it as like an age of the empires kind of style project where each stage you would get more advanced and then like more things would happen. And so it was really about like us thinking of, of the story and then like, extrapolating that into this like actual technical process of like various kinds of staking and uh, you know um, uh, use of the token and yeah so we had this crazy rise um, and then I think it was probably you know February March we were kind of top five top ten market cap mm -hmm. on Solana and then it was probably in about April May that we started seeing a decline and then it kind of just kind of it just started hitting harder and harder because you know, the token meta had kind of dissolved and Mindfolk was was um, labeled as a as a Ponzi token-based project. Like that's as, as blunt as I can be. Like that's what it is. You know, and so during that time frame, uh, something that we struggled with was one, we had a very small community. So our voice was basically silenced uh, from a community standpoint. And then the team itself, like our values that we hold was more, you could say like stoic or uh, equanimous. Like we didn't want to get involved in combat with people that were describing mind folk in ways that maybe didn't necessarily fit what our intentions were when we built the project. And I think that was difficult for us because you have these massive 10K community projects where people are talking about your project in their discord and they're describing mind folk as this Ponzi based token based project that's basically going to zero and it's some slow rug and, uh, yeah, so that process was quite hard for us. And, you know, we, we got to the point where we built all this crazy cool tech. We had this like entire kingdom system with, I mean, we have multiplayer staking where the NFTs themselves 
play these different roles and change probabilities and time frames. And, you know, for us, it was like we we worked so hard and it just felt like we were just like everything we did. I remember sharing, like, this is like, this is like super bare mind folk uh, inside story stuff, but like sharing our, our uh, what's it called? A trader view graph of our, of our uh, floor price and showing specific time points and being like, cool, this is when we launched cabins. This is when we launched boats. This is when we launched this. And like literally everything we did was just like down, 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 down. You know, it's like, it got to the point where the team was like, okay, you know, we want to, we want to, how do we fix this? You know, we can't add more because the more things we've added, the more complex it's become and the more difficult it is for people to join the community. And we just kept almost pushing further in the wrong direction. You know, um, we tried new things. A lot of it didn't work. And so we, we got to the point, it was last year, probably June, July, where we got to sit down together and just say, okay, guys, like we need to, we need to think about this. Cause you know, we have, we're a bunch of guys, like we're close friends. Like we want to keep doing this stuff. We don't want to leave this space. We don't want to, you know, rug. We were like mind focus pretty close to all of us. Like we want this exceptionally unique IP and brand to, to keep growing uh, with Solana and as you know, with web three as well. And so, yeah, so there was some very difficult conversations during that time, but Basically, it came down to what are the fundamental flaws that Mindfolk has as a project and like, where do we go from here? You know, like how do, if we were to start from scratch and take the best things about Mindfolk and remove the worst things about Mindfolk and start again, like how, do, what does that look like? You know, what is it going to take? How much time do we need? You know, one of the most difficult things in that conversation was how do you rebrand or like, how do you change the narrative of a project that, has that narrative has never been told by the team itself. You know, like how do we now change the conversation, change how people perceive Mindfolk in their minds to what we want Mindfolk to be, you know? Um, and so that's what, that's basically where the entire Renaissance journey started, which was about six or seven months ago. I don't know if you guys got questions so far. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. I do. Yeah, I have several. Like, go ahead, Bison. No, go first. No, right. first. <laughs> Thank you, man. No, so uh, it's great, like, having such a, like, flashback to the past, man. Like, for those who weren't around during, like, the October to December time frame, man, do you don't know how crazy the staking and baby matter was. That, those were the days when, like, a 2K project was, like, considered a pretty good size. A 5K, it's like... Oh man, is a 5k even going to min out like? <laughs> so it's uh it was a completely different time there. So you guys were just adapting to the meta, which is fine, but I was curious about at which point did you know that people were starting to perceive Mindfolk as a, a Ponzi staking project and like what did you how did uh, wood affect into like gaining from staking affected? Of course it helped the project's price add, but more like on from like the in uh, uh, a perspective from inside the team at the time. It's like, oh man, when you saw like people were only picking up Mindfolk for specifically to farm wood and to sell it, it's like, what did you do? How did that make the team feel? And how has it been for you trying to break this uh, narrative put on the project about just being purely Ponzi staking? Yeah, that's a great question. So from the team's perspective, it was obviously very difficult because, you know, we wanted to, we wanted people to know that that wasn't necessarily the intention, but then the counter argument to that was that's the best way to win the game. 
You know, it's like, how can you, if these people are here, you know, in the Web3 space to make money and, you know, mostly traders and like, you know, as much as the community aspect is a massive part of Web3 and the, so is the storytelling and so is the PFP and the rep and all this kind of stuff. But, but at the end of the day, people are also here to make money on their JPEGs. You know, someone's putting $20,000 into a JPEG. They're not just doing that because they think Ivan's got a cool voice. You know, it's like there's more to that. There's like, they believe in some potential in the future. And the game we had created without necessarily doing it intentionally or knowingly was, was built in a way that selling your token when wood was pumping was the best thing you could do to make money because you have a bunch of super loyal guys in our community. And, you know, I guess you could say like whales that come into this project. They really love the art. They're buying up all the wood so that they can build these cabins, they can build these boats, but then that's driving up the price of wood, you know? So wood price is dry, dry, getting driven up and the people that are just accumulating wood on the side, you know, that don't necessarily, and also because we made the sub collections so limited in, in uh, collection size, like, you know, 333 cabins, 222 boats, you know, if you, if you have 777 NFTs, not everybody's going to be able to build, you know? So what's going to happen with the rest of that wood token? You got to have some sort of demand for some utility uh, outside of just building, you know. So we just kept making more things to build and putting pressure on wood through it with within our own ecosystem, as opposed to making wood something that people could use outside of the ecosystem. So you know, the counter argument in in retrospect for us is that cool, you know, this is this is our intention, but that's not how people play the game. So you can't, you know, literally like can't hate the player, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Like those dudes did what they, they thought was the best thing to do at that time, which was to sell the token and take profit, you know, and uh, we don't have any negative feelings towards them because of that. But at the time it was obviously having a super negative impact on the project because it was driving the price of wood down. So yeah, it, it, it was difficult to have those conversations because, you know, when someone brings up the opposite side of the argument, there's there's nothing for us to be like, oh, well, you know, like you should be loyal and not sell your token. It's like, no, you know, like if, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. You know, it's our responsibility as the project founders to either provide enough utility for the token um, or to find a better solution to the problem. You know, uh, it's almost like the way we would describe it from the team side was like plugging holes in a boat. You know, <laughs> the boat's sinking and the water's leaking, but, you know, you just keep plugging. You're like, okay, cool. Let's, we're going to build this now. And then I mean, we'd fulfilled our initial roadmap, our internal team roadmap within six weeks of starting Mindfolk. And then we were like, oh shit, like this is a runaway train. You know, this is going way faster than what we can build or way faster than we can keep up with. Um, which it, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It's like really cool. Floor price go up, everybody happy. But, you know, in our minds, we like, this is going to, you know, this is going to, this is sinking and we need to do something about it. You know, and I honestly do believe this is also a contentious point, but I do believe that at some point in the future, maybe there is going to be a project that's going to figure it out. You know, you had the, like I said, Cyber Kongs, Kaiju Kings, Broker Dragons, Mindfolk, perfect examples of how this token breeding style uh, projects that did all do well at a certain point in time, but then ended up, uh, you know, falling pretty hard. I do think maybe sometime in the future, someone might figure out some sort of sustainable economical balance, you know, with a token. But uh, that it wasn't us and it wasn't our time to do so. But um, yeah, so it was very difficult from our end. Uh, we didn't want to get involved in the conversation in a way that came off as combative or defensive because we just thought, okay, like we need to find a solution. There's no point in telling people that the way they perceive the project is incorrect um, if they have a pretty justified argument to think so, you know. So 
I mean, that's kind of from the team side, how we felt about it. Uh, and that's also why, you know, we, we realized there was in that time frame of like what we learned from when we launched Mindfolk to now, there was just like so much learning that went on. You know, we went through like all these crazy experiences. And I mean, even f I remember like with the, the whole thing of small collection versus big collection, you know, a big part of our decision-making was like, we would go into these big DAOs, which are not really DAOs. You know, everybody was calling their project a DAO in these 10K collections, but it was, you know, the, the community management aspect for us was just like insane to imagine. It was like, wow, like 10,000 people on Discord. That's crazy. Like, how are we going to manage that? How are we going to, how are we going to bring all these people together under one single brand and like move this project forward? And so for us, it was, it was like a, it was an easy decision to be like, let's start small and then we grow. And then as we grow, we learn and we get better at, at managing the community. And so that's why now a year later, you know, a 10K collection is not a, it's like for us, that's like pretty standard. You know, I think thinking long-term, if you really want to be a project that's going to be around for a long time in, in the future, uh, I think bigger collections, um, depending on what your intentions are, not that all small collections don't have that capability, but it's a very specific kind of niche thing. You know, there's, there's very few small collections and they have a very specific purpose, you know, whether it's art driven or whether it's like, you know, you've got like your Googles and you've got your Ladaos and you've got those kinds of communities. Um, they're very purpose built. Um, and so I think if you're going for something bigger than that uh, in terms of like market cap and like really trying to grow and expand a brand in Web3, you're going to have to have a decent size collection uh, and, a, and a uniform yeah. collection. No, I agree with you, your point on like the collection size, like the landscape is completely different now. And one of the differences that are the most notable is the collection size for smaller collection size are mostly on one of one artists now. Like you don't see any of those couple hundred anymore, like generative things. No, those are usually you have well-known artists doing a set of 100 or a limited set of 50. And that's your smaller communities. While things such as like it, when you're in the less than 5000 range is usually some type of utility play where you don't need this massive collection size. So your wise wells, your UGSs. And then you, when you want to have that community based project, it, it has to be around 10K these days. Like I don't know of any community based project doing less than 10K, but that's kind of a positive thing because it shows the progression of the Solana ecosystem where we considered 5k back in the day a massive now it's just like if you're doing 10k it's like that's expected and it's also one of the other positive things is like I love seeing these smaller communities gather around certain one-on-one -on -one artists which really allows you to connect with people on a closer level that's why you typically see these sub DAOs across many collections um but yeah yeah it's uh while things are different I think things are moving in a positive direction yeah. yeah thanks man um the yeah the entire renaissance process was it, it was a big deal for us you know we spent a lot of time working on this um yeah sorry you got another question there yeah no i i kind of just wanted to agree with you ivan in the sense that like you were playing into that and you played it so well too because i mean mindful was a we saw it with the floor price and everything it was the smaller collections and we saw it too with like tayo we see it with um some of the other ones, Borioku again was another smaller collection where you know it was like 2000, 1500. You guys were 777, and um, that was what was popping back then, you know, like that's that's what it was. Like Dor said, I mean, anything over 5k, we didn't have 10k collections. The only one we saw was D Gen Ape, and I mean, besides that, that that was it until I think D Gods came around. It really was like taboo to do anything over 5k, so um, yeah, it was it, it was just it's crazy to see how much the market's matured and you're absolutely right. You guys got into 
the nitty gritty. And we didn't have this all figured out in Solana NFTs. And I think it's so imperative that you guys stuck around and you're like, okay, how do we learn from it? How can we remedy it? But a lot of people saw what was happening because they're like, well, we'll just play into the meta. We'll have the original collection size. We'll expand it somehow. Um, houses, boats, Gen 2, Gen 3, whatever it looks like. We'll, have, we'll introduce some breeding mechanics. We'll introduce a token because that was normal. Um, the problem with the token was always, and we see it too. Like we're in, you know, I do business development for um, Remnants and Longwood Labs. Like we see it, the, our player base is capped because our collection size is capped because that's the meta, right? We can't have like unlimited mints or anything like that. Um, because if you do it in, if you could keep expanding the collection size um, with your native token, like you have to burn the token in order to mint the next NFT collection. Well, that's great. It's really good for the users and stuff like that. You get to expand it, but it keeps going back to the original collection owners. Um, the ones who bought in early and continue to get the next, like what was supposed to be for expansion ends up just being, they get more and more. The rich get richer almost. Um, if you ask for soul, it's like your community got flooded, right? Like <laughs> you can't, you can't do another collection. They're like, well, wait, what about, you know, original collection owners? Then you have to give them whitelist allocation and you're like, well, how do I properly expand this ecosystem? And it was, it's tough. I still think a lot of people are trying to figure it out in a proper way that rewards old holders or the original believers in the project versus, um, you know, trying to onboard the, the next wave of users into your ecosystem. So um, I, I, I think I commend you guys one because you guys did as I like you guys did an incredible job. One, I love the mindful art so much. I was saying top three collection easy in mm -hmm. Solana because there is nothing that was uh, topping it. There were so many derivatives back then, which the more derivatives you had, um, the more you knew your art was like top tier. And you guys had so many. I traded so many derivatives back in the day. That was like pixel folk. Um, it was pixel folk. <laughs> um like mindfolk or something like that like dude so many popped up and it was wild to see but you guys were like at the forefront of it so um dude i will i will never forget that those were glory days but i'm excited to see what you guys have planned coming up because i think like you said it's it's this higher collection size that really plays into the community and brand place that you guys are really striving for and i think you guys kind of figured that out um hats off to you guys for not rugging i mean i know Dorian knows this as well because Cyber Samurai like easily could have rugged, but instead just yeah. decided to keep pushing and go with the Gen 2. Um, you guys didn't. You guys could have easily said, well, we'll just take the, the lessons we learned with this one and we'll make another mint. Um, you guys are like, no, we'll just we'll figure out some way, some shape and form, um, which brings us to our next point. Let's talk about the re Renaissance, right? So we, we have these mint capsules now. Um, can you kind of explain what's going to happen and how you guys are going to achieve a higher collection size? Yeah, for sure. So some of the thinking behind that, like you were saying now, you know, one of the constraints was we, we want to keep working on Mindfolk for sure. You know, so how do we solve this problem in the best way that we can? And the way the Renaissance or the Renaissance is, is working is that all of the collections have now been turned into these capsules. And the ultimate goal is that, all of this is going to become one single unified simplified collection. So from the art perspective, we took all the art that Jochen's created in the entire Mindfolk journey, which is from, you know, January until end of last year. That includes every sub collection, the boats, the, the cabins, the skateboards, the surfboards, the pirates. And we took all the, the most loved attributes and all the unique pieces from those, those specific 
collections and we unified them all into one single extension of the founders. So like our founders, obviously our OG collection, the 777, those 777 are still going to be in the new 10K collection, each one of the 777 um, as they are. So that's uh, Mint Capsule 1. Um, and also these, all these attributes have been inspired by the sub collection. So there's like some crazy pipes and hats. It's, it's, it really isn't a, an odd upgrade. It's an extension and expansion of the original OG founders. And so the, the capsules, it's a little complex. And obviously the, the whole purpose of the Renaissance is to move into simplicity, have a single 10 K collection. Like you want to join Mindfolk? This is the, this is the collection page. Like that's it, you know, like, and, but we have to go through this, this last few layers of complexity. We try to simplify it as much as possible with the capsules, but it is still a lot for some people. So it's, uh, it's, it's hard to explain, but basically tier ones are your original OG founders. Tier twos are your uh, boats. Tier threes is cabins and pirates and tier four or pre-sale is a pre-sale that we ran uh, about a month ago. And so what happens is with the tier ones, you get your original OG founder airdrop to you on mint day. And then you also get to mint another NFT from the Renaissance collection on mint day. The tier twos is just two uh, mints. And then tier three is one mint and the pre-sale is one mint. But when we did the pre-sale, which was about a day or two after we'd turned the capsules into, or turned the, the collections into capsules, uh, we added a whole bunch of cool uh, perks. So for example, if you have a tier one capsule and you own a pre-sale, or if you have a tier two and you own a pre-sale, or if you have a tier three and you own a pre-sale, there's different perks. So tier one is the tier one and tier four or tier one and pre-sale is the best combination because then you get the OG founder and three mints instead of just two. And for tier two and three and a pre-sale, it's just an extra whitelist for the mint. So that's how the capsules work. Um, there's two collections, obviously, for the capsules. There's a whitelist capsule. So the surfboards and skateboards are just whitelist. And then the mint capsules are the lowest is a mint and the highest is multiple mints, depending on what you own. Right. You, I mean, I, and I think you did a really good job of, of making it comparable to the floor price of what the collections were when you did it. So, like, hats off to you again for figuring out that ratio because it's not hard, especially with five tiers. Um, if you guys want to, I'm going to add King Digi's sub stack in here um, into the messages if you guys are watching on YouTube, just so you guys can get a little bit more of like a central hub and follow along on some of the stuff. Because when you're explaining five tiers, it's much easier to do so if you have a visual in front of you. Um, and there is a good video by Mindfolk um, talking about the trading capsules in that sub stack. So, yes, Ivan, I, I'm like, I. I appreciate so much that you guys are striving for a 10K collection. You guys have some other cool things coming up in, in the Renaissance as well. Um, let's talk a little bit about your your marketing studio um, and State of One and the Dalmine. There's so much, so much to dig into. Let's go ahead and start with Dalmine first. Then we'll talk about State of One, which is the first proposal, and we'll kind of work in from there. Yeah, sure. So Dalmine... Um... When we started Mindfolk, we never called ourselves a DAO. We never tried to be a DAO. We didn't even, for us, it was a, it was kind of a, just this word that was used to describe a Discord community. Uh, there wasn't really any actual uh, this decentralized organization happening. And so we didn't try and, and describe ourselves as that. We had a very close uh, connection with, or at least uh, conversations going with our community during the entire process. Having a small community allowed us that. 
but it was pretty difficult for us because even if you have three to 400 people in your Discord and you know, you're busy releasing features or you are talking about possible features in the future, those conversations are hard to have because it's easy for someone on the outside to be like, cool, well, you should change this or you should add that or you should adjust this because you know they don't consider like, for example, dev time, resources, those kinds of requirements, which makes it pretty difficult to just execute on everyone's ideas, especially when you have a diverse range of ideas as well. You know, so for us, having that feedback uh, and that communication open with our community was super important. But at the same time, it, it kind of made things difficult as well because it made us constantly think like, okay, we're going to pivot this way or we're going to adjust our original plan this way or, you know, and that made it extremely difficult for us to, to move at the pace that we needed to as well and also to keep everybody happy. So, you know, we were never a doubt. We as a team, we made the executive decisions. We made the last call. There was no, you know, we controlled the, the treasury. Uh, we decided on basically everything and, and that was how we ran Mindfolk. And, you know, during that process, what we started to realize was that there's all these amazing ideas in the in the community. You know, we can't execute on all of them. And some of them are really cool ideas as possibly standalone projects. You know, like these guys are giving us suggestions that we like, wow, that's a, that's actually a super cool idea, but we can't execute on that because we're either busy with what we're doing or um, there's no resources. It's just, it, it was very difficult for us. And so that's what started leading us to thinking more about an actual DAO. You know, like how do you solve that problem? How do you put yourself in a position where one the user or the holder becomes responsible for their suggestions. Cause it's easy to just be like, Oh yeah, do this or add this or change that. But it's different if you give them a criteria and you say, okay, this is the rubric. You know, we want to know how long, how much resources, how much like time and money and, and what, what do you need for this idea to be realized? How long, you know, all the, those are very important because all of a sudden it's like now it went from a suggestion to basically putting a business plan together that you propose towards the community. You know, because now you have to actually think about your idea for like a lot more in detail than just offering a suggestion. And so yo, that's yo. what I mean, I'm sorry, dog, but you ain't never lied, man. Like, I love our community, but sometimes we get suggestions and I'm like, dog, do you know how much execution and do you even think this, this is possible to execute right now? Like, yeah, I know blockchain is a revolutionary technology, but dog, you think about something like 50 years into the future. Like, I would love to do most of the things the community suggests because they are really, really good suggestions. However, it's just like, I don't think the execution of these suggestions uh, gets thought out well. And then some community members come back at the team and it's like, oh, I suggested you guys improve on this and you haven't done anything yet. It's like, yo, we're working on limited resources, limited people on the team. And it's like trying to execute this one small idea that might not really move the floor price much. It's like, so it's a lot to consider. So I like what you guys are doing over there with putting more responsibility on like the individual to like come up with the idea and then properly execute it than like just getting yelled at for not doing what people tell you to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it's, it's nothing, there's no bad vibes between the person who's making the suggestion and the team. It's just like exactly what you're saying. It's like you guys, it's easy to stand on the outside and be like, oh, this is the solution to the problem. And everybody's got their own solution, you know, and a DAO essentially an actual decentralized organization and, and, and on-chain governance is provides a solution that where people, number one, like you said, the individuals now have the responsibility to actually put uh, a proper plan together, a proper proposal, and then it goes to a proper vote, you know, all on chain, all governed. And, you know, during the, the Renaissance, when these ideas started uh, coming about, 
we had someone in our community and he basically, he's had a lot of experience in Ethereum and uh, really appreciate all his, he's been a super pivotal part of like our progress and his, his suggestions have been really great. And he basically had a call with me and I, I never forget, <clears throat> it was like a week period where he was like, just like, let's get on a call. And then you know, obviously I'm like, oh, I'm busy, I get on a call. And then eventually he's like, just, you know, let's have a call. We get on the call and he takes me through like a whole bunch of like really epic examples. He's like, check this and look at this. And like, he has Nouns DAO and he has Juicebox and he has all these like, these DAOs on Ethereum with big money and big political goals. Like these guys are actually making progress in terms of building decentralized autonomous organizations. Like they, they, you know, especially with Ethereum, it's like decentralized maxis, you know? So started looking at these examples and thinking, wow, like this actually can work. Like here are examples where this does work, you know? And that's, that's where I went down the rabbit hole on on-chain governance and started thinking, okay, you know, if we're going to turn this mind folk story around you know what is going to be the primary purpose of it you know and community empowerment was such a big part of that just because of our previous experience you know being able to put proposals together give community members the opportunity to be able to put proposals together and that also stemmed from the idea or the thinking of you know we always say we're early and we're not the earliest you know now solana has been around for two years and uh, so blockchain has been around for longer than that but I would say that this, the audience that we are right now is still made up of uh, majority either innovators or early adopters. You know, so you have a lot of people with great ideas, a lot of people who are still going to build the next biggest project on Ethereum or Solana. You know? And so how do we facilitate that? How do we build a system and what should we be focusing on to make that happen? And on-chain governance was the first thing that came to mind. It was like, okay, cool. Solana has DAOs. But how many people are actually focusing on on-chain governance as a system, as a as a an economical or political system that can pr pr make progress within decentralized organizations? You know, and so that's when it became very obvious to us that the DAO mind was going to be at the center of of the renaissance. You know, this is going to be that's how we're going to be able to connect with our community if we focus on these tools and we can make progress uh, on on-chain governance then we can empower our community to be able to execute on those ideas and to work with them. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's the whole story of, of, of Dow Mind. Yeah, Doug, freaking, uh, sorry, Bison, if you want to jump in real quick, I feel like I've been jumping in a lot. So uh, I just wanted to hit on a whole thing about DAOs again. It's like you hit on back in like January, everybody in their mama was calling themselves a DAO. No, it, it wasn't anything close to a DAO. That was just like the thing to do back then. Uh, fortunately, we transitioned away from that. But we are starting to see, and I'm, I'm glad you observed it and implemented in the Mindful, is this blend of centralized decentralization. Like you usually had this head figure at the leading the project, but it's also up to the community to support that project as well. I hit on this all the time. Like communities are too reliant on founders to pump their bags. Guess what? If you want your bags to be pumped, you need to be out there as much as the founder shilling that project. And one of the best ways to do this is through DAOs. And it's up to the project founders to support those DAOs in whatever activities they want to do. While you're doing this through your way, uh, an example similar to that is in Cyber Samurai. While Shake is the founder, it's like we have different DAOs within Cyber Samurai, specifically Pepe DAO, who receives a portion of the royalties from the trades. So it's like, look, it's in their interest to continue to promote Cyber Samurai, uh, Cyber Samurai, specifically the Pepe brand, because they're getting royalties from that. And we have on-chain governance, or at least we have a multi-sig wallet for the Pepe Council to decide how to distribute out liquidity or Pepe's or Sush or any other form of, for competitions they host, which 
gives and I think better aligns the community and gives them the resources to execute on these plans to help the overall brand. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's like, first of all, I feel like decentralization is paved with a lot of centralized solutions. Like we're not there yet. There's a lot of progress that still needs to be made. And um, you know, the brand needs to live on through the community. You know, we, we can't be the Mindfolk team like we were, you know, in the first six months of Mindfolk building at insane, at an insane pace. And basically like, you know, every week a different members burnt out and it's just like crazy stressful. It's like, you need to be able to like build, I mean, that the idea of a DAO, you know, is basically to build this system where it, everybody on the, everybody in the community becomes a founder, you know, like everybody's responsible for the future of this brand. And it doesn't necessarily mean that every decision is just based on how do we make Mindfolk as a single project better, but how do we take the Mindfolk brand and build cool shit, whether it be in Web 2 or Web 3, like whatever it may be. Um, and I think on-chain governance is, is the solution for that. And I think there's so much progress to be made there. Like, I mean, yeah, we, we know we're, we're not claiming that we're going to, you know, like Mind is going to be the ultimate solution. Eventually, we would love it to be, you know, but it's going to take time. But we want to be focusing on this. We want to make progress in this space, specifically on Solana. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always funny seeing, you know, like Dorian was saying, what people consider DAOs is not just a discord, right? Um, you know, and I'd say one of the only ones that I, I know of that I participated in is Monkey DAO um, with uh, like that, that feels like the true DAO or at least the most complete form of it right now. And I think a lot of people can learn a lot from it. Like Dor was saying, though, you know, it's, it's finding that striking balance of centralized decisions so you can be agile and make quick pivots whenever you need to because sometimes you know a lot of people don't vote you know you don't meet quorum or anything like that um but you need to make these pivotal decisions so it kind of helps it's it's finding that striking balance of centralized decision making so you can make agile decisions versus decentralized ones that you know kind of direct where we want the vision of the project going what proposals we decide to fund and everything like that um, kind of want to kick it over to you real quick, Ivan. I know you're talking about funding proposals and want to get your opinion on that. Obviously, we haven't had royalties enforced for a while. I know we're still working on things. I know Metaplex came out with a new standard um, that some of the projects are switching to. In order to fund these proposals, how are you going to do so? Is it going to be like a portion of your marketing agency and your art and everything like that with state of one and whatnot goes into kind of a DAO wallet, a multi-sig wallet where you guys then decide what to fund on proposals or how is that going to work? Yeah. So from our, our Renaissance mint, that's going to go, uh, like we're going to have a specific amount dedicated towards the treasury just to get going. And then state of one, as you mentioned, is our first proposal. And the idea is that every project that gets built out of the Mindfolk ecosystem has a certain proportion, a portion of those, the revenue that comes back into the project. So that's the ultimate goal to keep the, the treasury growing. I mean, growing the treasury is a massive part of running it up, you know, so, and that, that's basically going to, that's going to be based on the quality of projects that get proposed and the potential for them to bring revenue streams back into the Mindfolk community. So state of one is something that we started, it was probably about a month or so after we started Mindfolk. Uh, you know, obviously we'd had a lot of success with Mindfolk and our whole journey with, with Jürgen's our artist was, it was, it was really exciting. You know, we, Jochen's before he got involved with Mindfolk was working at a like a, a this market in one of the small coastal towns in South Africa and selling art basically you know at a on a, a little shop every weekend at like this farmers market 
It's a beautiful place in South Africa. And that was kind of his life. You know, we, we got him into, into Mindfolk and got him into Web3 and it, it changed his life for the most part. You know, he's now been able to move into Cape Town. And, and so we, that entire process for us was unique and we enjoyed it. And we thought, okay, how do we replicate that? Like, how do we do that in the future for other artists? Like, how do we find artists and promote them and get them involved in Web3? And so initially, State of One did start off as more of a, a, an idea around a marketplace. But we started building the marketplace. And obviously, we were so busy with Mindfolk, like to be able to build a marketplace. And especially at that time, the marketplace uh, space was just so competitive. And so what we thought of was, how do we do something unique that relates to that experience with Jochens? And State of One has now, over this past year, transformed into this this concept of taking a single artist and focusing on one artist at a time and basically putting them in the best possible position to be able to thrive within the web three space. So that, that could be, it doesn't necessarily mean like we're focusing on just one on one art. We're focusing on just trying to get this artist known for uh, single pieces. It's about like, where does this artist fit in the bigger picture? You know, even if it, even if it's not necessarily Solana, you know, maybe we come across an artist that might thrive on something like Artblocks, or we might find an artist that might be better on Super Rare or someone that's going to thrive on exchange art. So we, we do have a relationship with exchange, uh, exchange.art. We are going to be using their smart contracts initially because it just makes a lot of sense. We, we want to build these dynamic one-of-one galleries. So the gallery itself for each artist, so let's say we, we have an artist that we spend uh, six weeks on at a time. And in that time frame, we do everything bespoke. So they get their own, basically their own marketplace, their own website. Everything is just for them, like a solo exhibition in real life. You know, it's all focused on them. And the marketing campaigns are tailored for them as well. You know, so we're thinking along the lines of, I don't know if you guys have heard of like Mischief. Obviously, a lot of people are speaking about them like viral style, style marketing. So for something like someone like Jürgens, it could be like, you know, getting someone like Nick, uh, what's that guy from, I can't even remember now, man, that guy at the, uh, called The Office, I think it's The Office, and he's like, he likes to chop wood. Anyway, getting someone like, you know, a famous dude on a podcast and talking about chopping wood and then selling like a really expensive $50,000 wooden table as an NFT or, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool things you can do in the Web3 space to get attention around a specific artist or a project. And so that's the idea with State of One, like focus on a single artist and give them the best possible start. And we've already got two artists uh, or three artists, including Jürgens. And the first artist is actually, he's two years in a row now, won the World Illustration Championship, but he's like this super humble guy. He just, he's like, this dude is the most prolific, uh, like illustrator I've ever seen. Like he draws like at an insane pace and he's just like really stoked to be an artist. So yeah, he's the first guy we're looking at. If you go to State of One, State of Dot One, um, you can see some of his art. It's pretty pretty wild. So I have a question, Ivan. Like you've discussed a lot about the DAO and the State of One. So what other benefits will holders have access to? Are you going to have still have the wood token? Um, are there? I'm not advocating for revenue share. I'm just curious because I know other people might uh, inquire about it. So I wonder uh, what other benefits are holders going to have being. Uh, uh, once they mint the renaissance. Yeah, so the wood token is always going to be Mindfolk's token. Uh, we don't have any specific plans to try and pump the token or, you know, add it any sort of utility in the future. Like, if it makes sense that someone brings a proposal forward and they require a token for that proposal to be accepted or, you know, that, that whatever project that they have in mind requires some use of an SPL, then we will use wood. 
Um, wood is also, a, we, we, it's not a frozen token, so we could mint more if we wanted to, for example. It's not something, we're not tied to any sort of like value or limitations with it. Uh, you know, there are a lot of applications for SPL tokens that make a lot of sense, like even loyalty systems and CRMs or, you know, so I think <clears throat> there might be application for wood in the future and we will always have wood as our primary token. But there isn't going to be any sort of like wood drops or like we still have our our mining system with like the voyaging and you know you can still earn wood through engagement now within our discord and you can use that to buy certain things or like earn or use it with raffles and stuff but that's kind of secondary i think every project kind of has that in the bag and it's not really something that i would consider like an actual utility uh, but the benefits of uh, for example with something like state of one will be early access so any of the arts or the collections or whatever comes out from the art artists that we work with, like uh, our community will obviously get first pick on that. So whatever projects are built from the, the DAO, our community needs to benefit. Like that needs to be part of the deal that our community gets first access to those projects as well. That makes total sense to me. Um, and I think it's fun. You know, basically you're, you're looking at incubation of sorts, right? I mean, like that's, that's pretty much what you guys are, are going for. And I, I love that because, you guys have been around. You guys have seen everything. You've seen the pitfalls. You've experienced it yourself. And so not only can you guide projects, but you can guide artists too. I mean, like your art, I cannot stress it enough, is some of the best on the chain. Like it is so good. I know when I see a mindful piece even pop up on my PFP, just like the smallest yeah. little thing on a like, like I'm looking at some of my tweets and just seeing, you know, you're like, oh, that's a mindful right there. Like it's so easy to pick out. And so, um, you know, like I said, kudos to you guys for sticking around, um, really thinking this through and thinking of how we can drive value back to holders. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about expansion of holders, though, because you have to reward your old holders. How How is it going about? Now, I know you guys have Connect, right? How is your whitelist application process so far? And what do people listening to the show that are interested in applying have to do in order to apply for whitelist? Yeah, sure. So the Connect application was kind of something that we, we've always thought about. My background is marketing. Uh, it's what I studied in my, and I've been working in e-commerce stores and you know, CRMs and that kind of stuff. So we, we've always been talking about how do we use blockchain to create a loyalty-based system. And we had originally started using Utility Ape in our Discord about uh, two, three months ago. And we thought it was pretty cool, like the uh, earn to, engage to earn style. And then we also knew of Dust Labs. We were also in conversations with them about possibly using their uh, their scholarship system, but it just it didn't really make sense. Uh, we didn't really align on on how it would make sense for us to use that. And so, yeah, we basically decided we were going to build something ourselves um, that included everything that we needed, which was you know uh, something that could give us the ability to curate our community moving forward, and something that could be connected to a loyalty system where community members who are connected to connect could then engage in our content and become part of the mindfolk narrative, you know? So there's a whole bunch of really cool features we're thinking about adding to connect in the future uh, and white labeling that also as a possible DAO proposal. Um, we've, yeah, the, the, the process has been pretty wild so far. Like we never expected it to, to uh, blow up like it has. Uh, within our first week, we've received 43 or 42,000 applications, which is pretty nuts. It's, it's a lot to go through. Uh, but we've been we've been giving secret codes to various communities and influencers and just people and even our just our community to share with other people. So that allows us to just like streamline from the secret codes. Those kind of act as like a first come first serve. If you get a secret code and you apply, 
then we will give like a certain amount of guaranteed spots to each of those codes. But I would say for someone that wants to get onto uh, get into the applications and get accepted, uh, there's various options uh, that you have. So you've got to connect your wallet. That's the given. But then you have um, you can connect your Twitter. You can connect your your uh, you can even connect MetaMask. So we've recently added MetaMask, which is pretty cool as well. And you can connect your Discord, and then you can answer a few questions, and then you get rewarded wood for doing those things. Uh, which then goes into Discord and you can actually accumulate wood through engagement and buy your whitelist uh, if you don't necessarily get accepted through the applications. Um, so it's all a single database that has all this information that we're going to be tracking and using to to uh, to approve certain people. But I would say the things that stood out just as like a, I guess, a bit of alpha was like guys that are like writing messages to us and, you know, telling us about their experiences in Web3 in like the optional little block at the very bottom of the application. Like, is there anything we should know? Like that stuff stands out, you know, because it stands out when you read someone else's story and they might even have like 50 followers or 100 followers, but have value to add, you know? So those are applications that have definitely stood out for us for sure. Well, you guys heard it here first, a little rare photo alpha for you guys. Make sure you are adding in a little bit of blurb about yourself and your experience in Web3 because I, I, I agree with you, Ivan. I, I think that is one of the things that, you know, I, I talk with some people. Some people think the application process is kind of drawn out now and we've already been through it, but I love it personally. I think that the fact that you're able to curate a community rather than, you know, the old whitelist meta of you had to go into a discord, you had to say, Hey, like 5,000 times over, you know, a span, you are on a timer. Like you just had to get as many messages as possible. There's no substance in there. And it really valued quantity over quality for the people that literally that was their job. It's grind for whitelist. Then they get to mint. It prints. Everything went two to three plus X after, after mint, sometimes 10 X and you got to sell and like people were making a living off it. That's not how you make an actual community. Right. And so the application process, the connect that you guys have, um, to me, not only does it do that, but it's kind of gamification too of, of applying with it, right? Like you can you can buy your whitelist with wood if you really want to get in, or we apply and you can go through the process there. You can buy a mint capsule if you want to. And I think having a variety of ways that appeal to a lot of different people um, curates a nice balance of community. And so I'm a big fan of it. I love that we're straying away from the whitelist meta of, of grinding in Discord because that thing was so played out to me. Um, and I kind of want to let's let's go ahead and wrap it up here because we're closing in on that at the end of our hour here. Um, let's talk about when when is this all happening? You have mint capsules right now. When is this all going to be dropped? Do you have like a estimated date? Because I never like giving hard dates, especially in Web three. We all know how things change. Um, but what's what's kind of the timeline going forward? Yeah, so we do have a, a hard date. Uh, it took us a while. We were originally going to try and do it on our first birthday for another New Year's Mint, but that was not a great idea at all. So we are minting on the 31st of Jan on Magic Eden. Uh, you can check it on the drops uh, tab on Magic Eden. And so how it will work is 24 hours before the mint itself, there'll be a snapshot taken to see what's in everybody's wallets to check your combinations and see, you know, because obviously there's going to be a, a free mint, period, then there's going to be a whitelist period and then possibly a, a public period as well. So yeah, that's going to happen on the 31st. Snapshot will happen on the 30th. And yeah, that's that's where we're heading. Um, so get your applications in. The applications will close 24 hours before the snapshot as well. So 
that we will leave them open until then. I think at this very point in time, we've approved uh, about 800 applications out of a possible 4,000. So yeah, still lots of opportunity for guys to get in. Awesome. Yeah, um, I do want to say something on the applications real quick. Because D-God's got a lot of hate for this, and other uh, people who have done applications got a lot of hate. Uh, I just want to tell the audience, like, look, you guys do not get accepted on the application. Don't get mad at the team. Do a little bit of self-reflection and say, hey, what can I do to make myself better, more prepared for the next application? People get salty because, like, honestly, your floor price is looking pretty solid across all tiers right now. So people get extremely salty when they can't get in that – quick four to five X and start blaming you guys because they didn't do something. So to all the audience members out there, if you get rejected, take it as an opportunity to learn and grow, not because the team dislikes you. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, that was, that was definitely a point that door and I were trying to drive home when the whole Ute list and pilots, even pilot list and all these application processes are coming out. It's like, how do you make, it's just like, how do you make your resume stand out? You know, and it, this is a web three resume of what are you contributing versus taking away from this ecosystem as a whole. So yep. I, again, I'm a big fan of the application process. You said you had 4,000 applications, Ivan. Uh, 43,000. 43,000. 43,000. <laughs> yeah. It's like crazy. Wait, 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 40, wait, 43. Dang, dude. Not, not 4,300, 43,000. Holy cow, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, so when we launched it, there's a, the way we launched the system was through so the, the difference that we that we made between existing applications and what we did is we added the referral system. We added the incentive structures. So we didn't make anything compulsory. You didn't have to necessarily answer every question. You didn't have to connect all your socials. Uh, you could earn wood by doing it. And then you could share your referral code. And then through the referral code, you could earn more wood. Um, so, but the way you earn wood through the referral code is if the person that you refer your, yourself to gets approved and yeah it's, it's just yeah that's how many applications we've received um we know that there were a lot of guys that had shared our application system in various like closed off crypto uh telegram groups with like you know twenty thousand people so we had it we've got a ton of applications a lot like I, I i can say transparently a lot of them are not great they're just like a bunch of referrals but um yeah that's how many people have been through the system i would say realistically uh you know looking through the applications like at least uh 30 to 40 percent are like legit twitter discord connected web3 people which is pretty rad like we super stoked about it amazing man that is that's pretty incredible awesome. numbers um i will I, I need to talk to you offline about that because that is Thanks. incredible engagement with the application um yeah let's uh, we will definitely talk offline but um Kind of just wanted to wrap up the show. Ivan, is I'll give you one last chance for closing statements on the, the renaissance coming up. Um, you know, like wh what should people be excited for in the next six months? What's like the big pivotal moment that you're like, yo, this is why you need to own a mind folk. Yeah, thanks. So the most exciting thing for me is the dial mind. Uh, I think that's going to be something that's going to revolutionize uh, on-chain governance within the Solana space. I have no doubt. And we are definitely ready to set a new PFP standard. Uh, the art that's that's been created by Jürgens is, if you guys really like the founders, this is taking it to a new level. And yeah, we're super stoked. The community aspect of MindFolk is going to be uh, very important for us. And so 
uh, I think if you have any interest in joining Mindfolk, 31st of December, Magic Eden, get your applications in and come chop it up. Uh, okay. Dude, I need to get my application in. Um, yeah, same, man. My <laughs> goodness. Holy cow, Ivan. That is, I, I, one, I'm, I'm excited for the project already. You know, I, I'm like, I'm an, I've slowly become an art snob in, in being in Web3. I don't know what it is, but I was never like this way uh, until I started diving into the 101 scene and then, you know, mind folk and, and everything like that uh, just really gave me an appreciation for really good, clean art. And your art is just so good. It's so unique. I have not seen anybody copy it or anything like that. They can't. I mean, it's just so, uh, it's so mindful. You know exactly where it came from. So, um, yo, thank you so much for coming on the show, Ivan. Um, this has been nothing but a pleasure. I look forward to seeing what the Renaissance pulls off for you guys. Um, how you guys achieve your vision of on-chain governance and um, what proposals you fund, uh, state of one. You guys have a lot to look forward to. And um, I know the first thing I'm doing after I get off the show is making sure I get my application in. So I know, right? Um, yeah, Joe, I know uh, it's always hard doing interviews with Joe because Joe's off, off camera. Um, Joe, do you have any questions for Ivan before we sign off here? No, absolutely not. You guys are beautiful. That was amazing. I was actually a fan just in the audience. You know me. I'm I'm technical analysis. I'm not, you know, know. I'm not the interviewer. Yeah. So I love it, man. It was beautiful. Yep. I and you guys seem like you have, you know, you, you've tested the time now. You you've put it in. You've gotten first you've got your praise. Then you were, you know, you kind of had your kicks. And now you're coming out on the other hand and you've taken all of that. And you've combined it into what you're going to put out for the public and what you really think is useful and, and what people are going to need and want. And I think that's smart. And I think people need to invest in founders that have shown that they can stick around no matter if they're getting their flowers or if they're getting kicks, you know. So so big up to you guys. And I hope the best for you guys, man. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I just want to say I uh, appreciate you giving, uh, giving us the time to come on and chat about my folk. I'd love to do this again post-mint and have a chat about the Renaissance and what's been going on. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Dorian, Bison Trades, Joe Soul, chop, 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 guys. Chop, chop, man. Chop, chop uh, dog. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up, guys. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in to Rare FUD. If you guys are new to the channel, please make sure to hit that little subscribe button down below. Get notified. We do go live every Tuesday, Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, we also have all of our up episodes uploaded to podcasts. So whether it's Apple podcasts or Spotify, um, or anchor, if you like to go that route as well, uh, we do shorts on YouTube as well. So if you're trying to look for highlights or clips, um, we do put those out on occasion as well. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Bison trades at Dorian underscore W he's got a three in there for the culture and at Joe sold two one two, um, as well as at rare FUD radio. You can also find Ivan at Ivan hyphen um, and make sure you follow Mindfolk as well at Mindfolk Art. Uh, Ivan, it has been nothing but a pleasure. I wish you nothing but the best. You are a friend of the show now. We would love to have you back on um, once you get through all the mint hype. I know it is just like a roller coaster of emotions once you go through that day. So I'm wishing the best of luck on the 31st and um, chop, chop. Let's get after it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for tuning okay. in to Rare Fud Radio. We'll see you on the next episode Thursday. 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and have a great rest of your day. Peace, everybody.